0: Welcome to Bible Mysteries. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? You're listening to episode 146, Edom and Rahab, Interview with Timothy Alberino. Now here are your
1: hosts, Scott and John. Hello, welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell.
0: I'm John Potts, and this is the show that talks about things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know.
1: And boy, John, are we going to get into some things the world doesn't want to know today. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce our very special guest to our audience. But we're going to first acknowledge some of our new seekers, our premium subscribers. This episode is brought to you by Lene O., Piali F., Lydia G., Jeremy S and Catherine M, all who became members back in January of this year. Now, thank you guys for subscribing. And don't forget to you have bonus content as a part of that if you do choose to do the premium subscription. But we are very honored to welcome Timothy Alberino back to Bible Mysteries Podcast. He's known as the modern-day Indiana Jones. Timothy is a consummate explorer and has just recently returned from an expedition to Cusco, Peru. I hope I'm saying that right. With uh, Luke and Nate from Glory Creatures Podcast. A shout out to our friends Luke and Nate. His inquisitive mind and insatiable appetite for adventure have led him all over the planet in search of lost cities, lost civilizations, hidden treasures, and legendary creatures. He's also an avid researcher and published author with, whose scholarly pursuits are as daring as his expeditions. The website is timothyalbarino.com. The book is Birthright, The Coming Post-Human Apocalypse and the Usurpation of Adam's Dominion on Planet Earth. And the man is Timothy Albarino. Timothy, welcome home from Peru and welcome back to Bible Mysteries.
0: Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you.
1: Well, we are very excited to have you, and before we dive into our topics today, I just have to ask if there's anything new or exciting that you'd like to share that you may have discovered on this recent trip to Peru.
0: Uh, Not anything new. It was certainly exciting. Uh, I did visit, for the first time, I visited a site called Nyalpa Iglesia, which is between Cusco and, well, it's near Ojantaytambo. It's, It's on the road between Cusco and Ojantaytambo and it is a it's it's a site that is not heavily visited heavily trafficked by tourists it's off the path you have to climb up the side of a mountain to get to it and so that was a new experience for me i've known about nyalpa glacier for some time but i've never visited it and the site is it's traditionally regarded as a portal and it's it's a i believe it's uh andesite uh it's a, it's a face of a of us of a large stone that's fallen off the mountain, very large boulder and it's carved. There's a, there's a, um, it's difficult to describe. There's sort of a doorway carved into it with great mm. precision and carved and polished. And then there are some other carvings at the site. And again, the, the Andean tradition, according to and, Andean tradition, it's, it's a portal, but, I don't believe that we're talking about a portal to another dimension or something like that. I literally think, and I, and this is—you asked me if there's anything new and exciting. Well, I think that we've discovered some evidence that what it is in actuality is a marker to an access point into the mountain, into the underground world called the Shinkana under the Andes, which is a the under the underworld of the Andes, but also. It refers to a massive, extensive tunnel system that goes for hundreds or perhaps even thousands of miles beneath the Andes. And I think that Nyaalpe Glacier might be a marker marking entry into this underworld. so that that's something new that I'd never seen. So that was uh, that was entertaining and yeah. interesting. <laughs>
1: To say the least, I Did think I've seen pictures me. of that very portal. Excuse me, John, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask the same thing. Did you happen to get any pictures or
1: uh, video photography of that?
0: Uh, yeah, the guys in our, the, the the people who were along with us on this expedition uh, took lots and lots of pictures. So um, I'm sure they'll be popping up on, I'll, I'll post some to Instagram whenever I get around to it. I'm sure there's some pictures of me there yeah. that are floating around. Um, and of other members of our group, and like uh, rather uh, Luke and Nate from Blurry Creatures, as you said, were were on this uh, expedition with me. So I'm sure there's pictures of all of us up there.
1: Yeah, uh, and I'm sure they'll be releasing some information too uh, at their website. Well, um, you know, speaking of Luke and Nate, um, you and I actually met in person for the first time this year at BlurryCon. In, uh, right. in January, and um, you were so kind to talk to me afterwards, but when I mentioned wanting to discuss Mars and Rehab with you, you just sort of lit up real big and with a smile and indicated that's not many people wish to discuss this aspect of your book, and I, I just found that part of Birthright profoundly interesting, and I'd like you to give us a brief summary uh, for our listeners of the connection you draw between Mars and Edom.
0: Well, this is an aspect of my book that most people don't ask me about, which I find quite intriguing because I think it is one of the most interesting things that I talk about. Yeah. I didn't invent this uh, information; I gleaned from uh, I glean from first of all the late David Flynn, his mm-hmm. book *Cydonia: The Secret Chron- Chronicles of Mars*. He's the one who first brought this to my attention. But then also, uh, this is some of this information is is known in the rabbinic traditions, the, the oh. Jewish rabbinic traditions. And, and it, it's all very compelling. So um, I don't wade into this territory very often because it's difficult for me to remember all of the details associated with this topic. When I say details, I mean the scriptural references <laughs> because there are many scriptural references. It's Rahab appears in the Bible in several instances, but also associated with the dragon and with Edom. Yes. And so uh, when you knit these these various topics together, what you begin to realize is that you have a... This tapestry begins to form, begins to uh, manifest, and, and it, it depicts what I believe is a galactic war, a galactic rebellion that happened a long time ago, and the and the the scriptures are intimating, uh, are alluding to this to this this <clears throat> this galactic war of unimaginable destruction that occurred before, previous to the creation of mankind. Yeah. Now I believe that the scriptures the 66 books of the bible are divinely inspired i think that the that we have the plain text we have the plain reading of the text which is the stories and the histories and the the narrative of the of the 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 various things that are going on in the old and new testament we have of course the gospel of jesus christ which is the which is the main purpose the the primary message of the scriptures is to deliver the gospel of christ to mankind both old and new testament um and we have we have a lot of contemporary information that was relevant, for example, in the New Testament to the early church. But within all of this obvious content, I believe we also have, because it is div- divinely inspired, we also have coded information, information that was laced into the narratives, both Old and New Testament, especially the Old Testament, that is informing us in a very cryptic way about things that happened before we were here. Yes. And things that pertain to not to mankind directly, but to other entities who pre-exist mankind, and that that information is hidden. It's not made plain. And, of course, many people, when they hear me say things like that, their, their reaction is, well, why would God hide those things from us? The answer is, I don't know, but I can tell you that he does. The psalmist tells us, or that rather the, the writer of Proverbs, Sol- Solomon tells us that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Amen. And not, so it's not only that he does it because uh, because he has some particular reason. It's more than that. It's actually the glory of God to conceal a thing. Right. And it is the honor of kings to search a thing out. So uh, I think there's a lot concealed beneath the plain reading of the text. This is what would fall under the category of esotericism, Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible is certainly, especially the Old Testament, an esoteric book. The very nature of prophecy is esoteric. Esoteric meaning it's not plain speak. Esoteric meaning it's metaphorical. It's a, it's a symbolic. There's allegories. It's information that must be discerned by the wise. Again, I've gleaned this information from men who are much wiser than me. And all I can tell you is that um, the, the what I've been able to glean is remarkable in that, as I said earlier, it seems to depict uh, this conflict, this galactic conflict that occurred in a pre-Adamic context between um, or amongst the other sons of God and involves planets, other planets aside from planet Earth that were inhabited, probably the planets in our solar system. So when we talk about Rahab, uh, there are again the the reference to rahab in in the scriptures on the face the, the the prima fascia reference to rahab would 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 be a reference to a king or to a location on the earth but when you read all of the subtext around rahab and the context in which it's being referenced it becomes clear that we're not talking about a man or or an earthly location we're talking about something far more profound
1: yeah I I couldn't agree. Oh, excuse me. I couldn't agree I was just
0: going to say in short, I, I believe that Rahab refers to a planet that exploded between Mars and Jupiter.
1: Yeah, and we're going to even discuss that in a little bit more detail. But I think what you said about the scriptures being esoteric is certainly buttressed by the statement in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So I do think God is revealing what he wants in his time, whether it's coded or esoteric or not. And he's giving us the wisdom to understand it. And maybe the need to know is is becoming more and more apparent. So I'm really grateful that you brought that up. Now, tying back to Edom, you indicated in your book that you also have a twin brother. And, and And you draw our attention to the fact that while Jacob and Esau were twins, they were very different in appearance and their heart towards God. And given the satanic influence of what you call the sibling contender aspect of brothers in Scripture, such as Cain and Abel, or Ishmael and Isaac, you speculate about a different line of attack that the dragon used with Jacob and Esau, and involving Rebecca, their mother's womb. Explain what you meant by this.
0: Well, I find it interesting that both Sarah and Rebecca were barren.
1: Mm.
0: And this was, this was a time in which women were having many children. Yeah. And the fact that both of these women were barren, and we're, we're not just talking about any women. We're talking about the women who are in the line of the Messiah, right. who are giving birth to the, heir, to the predecessors of Jesus Christ and predecessors in regard to their genetic lineage. Jesus had to come through the line of David, according to the scriptures. Right. And so when you talk about um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you're talking about Israel. You're talking about the royal bloodline that would give birth to the Christ, the fulfillment of the dra- what I call the dragon slayer prophecy.
1: Yeah.
0: And so it, it, it cannot be coincidental or incidental that both Rebecca and Sarah Sarah and Rebecca are barren. And so I obviously, you know, Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, um, because she, she couldn't have a child, she had Abraham lie with her maidservant, the Egyptian, her Egyptian hand servant, right. uh, Haggai. And that, of course, created all a lot of the, the problems that we see today in the Middle East. Um, and what you had was an illegitimate error, uh, rather, ear. You had an illegitimate error who, who was the product of that union, right. Ishmael, because God had promised Abraham a son. And, of course, that son came in the form of Isaac. And when, when Sarah's barren wound was miraculously brought to life, when she gave birth to a promised son, and of course, Abraham went, and and we have the the enactment, the the uh, the prefiguration of of God giving His only Son as a sacrifice for the sin of mankind. We have that being play acted on Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac when Amen. Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. So we're talking about the most important lineage on planet Earth, the lineage of Abraham, and and. So this barrenness, I don't, when I read that these women were barren, I pause. It it gives me pause because this is such an important lineage. And so we had twins, rather not twins, we had two sons of Abraham. We had Isaac and Ishmael, and Ishmael was... Can be considered an, an illegitimate son because he was born to the to the to, to the maidservant, right? Uh, and Abraham, and it was an act of un, it was an act of disbelief, or rather, um, let's call it um,
1: a lack of faith on the part.
0: Uh, it was a lack of faith. I didn't yeah. want to use that word uh, because it seems strong, but it is <laughs> that is what it was. It was a lack of faith on the part of Abraham to succumb to his wife's desire for a child when he knew he had one promised. Right. Even though he was advanced in age, and of course, when, of course, uh, his wife chuckled when she, when she, I forget the exact context, when she heard that heard that she would give indeed give birth to a son in her old age, which she did. Yeah. Um, and of course, it is uh, Isaac who would give birth, who would who would father Jacob, and uh, Isaac was the legitimate heir, not Ishmael. So there was this strange there is this strange uh sibling rivalry almost uh prenatal sibyl rival- rivalry here where you have two siblings who one of them is a legitimate heir and the other is to some extent a usurper that would be Ishmael in this case yes but if you go further back you have it with Cain and Abel yeah Jesus came through the line not of Cain but of Abel, and so through seth yeah. and so um so it's this strange thing, and by the way, so there are so many uh sibling rivalry in some cases twin or city origin stories all around the world, for example, Rome, yes. Rome was founded by Romulus. And Ramus. Right. And Romulus and Ramus became adversaries and contended for the rule of Rome. And of course, Romulus prevailed. So um, it's this weird, this strange thing is happening. And so when I see when I see when we get to when we get to Jacob and Esau, and we see these twins who are born, and and these are twins. And one of them comes out looking like the red spawn of Bigfoot. (laughs) And the other one comes out looking like a normal human being. Something is wrong with that picture. Regardless of whether or not these are fraternal or identical twins, there's something strange going on here. And so, um, and it's the same kind of a deal. We have Esau who emerges first from the womb. These are twins. Esau emerges first, so you have this, this red, hairy thing coming out of uh, Rebecca's womb, and you can, you can envision that as somebody, something, is usurping the birthright of Jacob, who's coming yeah. behind. Right. And Jacob, of course, what is he doing when he emerges from the womb? He's grabbing the heel
1: yeah.
0: of Esau. And so I, I take this concept and I develop it into, um, into uh, a, let's call it um, a prefiguration of what's going to unfold at the end of the age with the Antichrist and Christ. Because the Antichrist <laughs> is a usurper. Yes. But Christ dethrones him. At the end of the age and takes back the birthright of mankind which is essentially what jacob does Um, you know jacob emerges from the womb second holding on grasping on to esau's heel yeah and then later on in the story we we find that esau because he came out because he emerged first he the birthright of his father uh isaac was going to fall to him and so, as the story goes, um, Jacob's mother favored him and wanted the birthright to fall to him rather than to Esau. And so she she came up with this plan that Jacob would trick his father, Isaac. Right. Uh, he would trick him because he was he was basically on his deathbed and his his eyes were dim and he he had cataracts or something and And this condition would allow Jacob to to execute this ruse and pretend that he was Esau so that he would be, the, the, the blessing would be conferred to him rather than his, what really amounted to his older brother, Esau, who emerged from the womb first. So Esau one day comes back from hunting and he's famished and Jacob is making, I believe it was lentil soup. And Esau was so hungry that he told Jacob, He begged Jacob for some soup. And Jacob said, I'll give you some soup if you sell me your birthright. And Esau Esau agreed to do that. Now, it's very important. That's a very important detail in this story because Mm -hmm. Esau had to abdicate that birthright before Jacob could go and get the blessing from his father. That's That's, why that story is there. Good point. Because why did he need it? You know, if there was some sort of magical conference that happened by Isaac laying his hands on Jacob and just giving him a blessing, then then why did Jacob need Esau to sell him his birthright, to abdicate, willingly abdicate his birthright? That had to happen first. And that, I think, is a detail most people miss. And obviously, if you read my book, you know that that's very important as it pertains to the birthright of mankind. So Esau had to willingly abdicate his birthright to Jacob, which he did for a bowl of stew. And and once Jake, Esau had abdicated his birthright, then then this ruse that Jacob was going to play on his father could be executed and effectuated.
1: Hi, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider being a
0: full time subscriber. We are going to use these funds to expand the message and get the word
1: out about what's in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about. That's right, John. We appreciate you listening, but we'd love it if you'd subscribe. That way we can reach more people with the time we have left. So enjoy the rest of the podcast, but think about subscribing if the Lord puts it on your heart. To subscribe, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com. Thanks.
0: Because Esau had already abdicated his birthright to Jacob. Now all Jacob had to do was go and get the blessing, which is what he did. And we all know the stories of his mother. Um... Uh, Rebecca wrapped, in order to mimic Esau, she uh, she wrapped Jacob's arms in goatskins, his forearms, because she knew that her husband was going to grab his arm when he conferred the blessing. Now, now that's that's really strange. Wrapping his forearm forearms in goatskin.
1: Yeah,
0: that's one hairy dude. I mean,
1: yeah. that, <laughs> Esau's not.
0: Esau is not hairy like just a hairy guy. He's hairy like yeah. an animal. Yeah. And yeah. not only that, not only that, it was it was also this is another detail a lot of people miss is that she had him wear Esau's clothing. Why would she have him wear Esau's clothing if if Isaac is blind? What does it matter what he wears?
1: Right. Well,
0: I'll tell you why. Because Esau had a very peculiar odor. Mm. That's why. A very unusual odor.
1: Almost so, Bigfoot like.
0: <laughs> exactly. So combine these two things together: this this un, inhuman hairiness with this peculiar odor. That's what's going on here. Yeah. And so it would be it, it, it would this is a, this is a good ruse then because now Jacob goes into to Isaac to get the blessing converted to him. Of course, Isaac thinks it's Esau. Why does he think it's Esau? Because you can't mistake you can't mistake the touch and the smell of this guy for anybody else. Right. That's why Rebecca knew it would work. He 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 was unmistakably uh, identifiable by his by the by by his excessive hairiness and his yeah. peculiar odor. Yeah, that's not incidental. That's oh, a I- very important detail because most <laughs> the human beings. This is not. This is inhuman. What's happening here? Um, at least in my estimation, there's something very, very strange going on here.
1: Well, I, and I agree, of- and I want to come back to deal with the legality of the birthright, because you touch on it so so much in the book. It's such a salient point. But I, before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and just jump into the rabbit hole here. And uh, you can steer me out if I'm going too far afield. But do you believe it's possible that the current abduction phenomenon could be thousands of years old, possibly involved in the birth of Jacob and Esau. And, and if, if that is true, why do you suppose it continues to this day since the seed of the woman has already been defeated, uh, or the seed of the woman has defeated the dragon rather at the cross. So can you rephrase that question? Yeah. So in other words, we're talking about this inhuman type of, uh, characteristic of Esau. And, uh, Is it possible that's the result of something involved in Uh, alien abduction and genetic manipulation?
0: Well, so I personally believe that, although there's no direct indication of this in the text, Mm -hmm. I personally believe that somebody had implanted something in Rebecca's womb along with Jacob.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And we can do it today in vitro fertilization. It's not difficult for us today. Exactly. Um, Now, they weren't doing in vitro fertilization then. And I don't think that there's any indication whatsoever that Rebecca had sexual relations with a Bigfoot or something like that. Exactly. So something else is happening here. I don't believe that it was, as I said, coincidental that you had this red. By the way, he's not just here. He's red. Yes. So. Um, there's something strange going on here. There's an attempt to usurp the birthright of Jacob. And why would the dragon want to usurp the birthright of Jacob? Because he wants to forestall his fate and he wants to foil the dragon slayer prophecy. And he wants to stop the coming of this son of Adam who would, who would crush his head. Exactly. And so, um, and he knew because of the promises that were spoken to the patriarchs, he knew which, which bloodline, Christ was coming through, he knew, and that's why he's constantly assaulting it. That's why he's constantly after the the lineage of David, the lineage of Abraham. And so, obviously, even even trying to stop the Israelites from from entering the promised land by laying a minefield of Nephilimic tribes that they would have to fight through to take the land. It probably was the literally the most difficult place uh, to subdue on planet Earth, yeah. because you had tribes of giants. You had the walls of Jericho, which were probably megalithic walls uh, that that had to be assaulted in order to take the Promised Land. So God, the, the, so it's clear to me that the dragon knew, a that that the Israelites would occupy Canaan and would and would build the city of Jerusalem, and B that the Christ would come through the line of Abraham in Jerusalem in the city of, well, in Bethlehem, but in, in, in the greater Judea area. Right. So, and this is, and this is played out obviously in, uh, he didn't know exactly the circumstances, but he knew generally the circumstances because this plays out in when Jesus is born in Bethlehem and the wise men, the, the, the really what they were was they were, They were Eastern astronomers who came to pay homage to this eternal king who had been born. And there's reasons why they knew he had been born. They knew the general direction in which he was born because they were following a particular star. But they didn't know exactly where he was to be born. And so they went and inquired of of Herod. By the way, Herod was an Edomite.
1: He was. So
0: they inquire of Herod. And Herod tells them that, according to the scriptures, he's to be born in Bethlehem. That's how they knew how to get to specifically to Bethlehem um but it's clear that they didn't know that Herod didn't know exactly who Jesus of Nazareth's parents were because what he did next is he ordered the the slaughter i think of of all the three year olds and and under correct yes the the infanticide yes to to try and you know dragnet and uh, with this slaughter and and catch the christ within it catch the, the 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 promised king who was born somewhere in the region try and catch him in this in this infanticide in this dragnet infanticide he didn't know exactly where he was he just knew that he was somewhere in bethlehem right so that, that's just to demonstrate how the dragon has certainly been continually attempting to devour the seed of the woman. And that, of course, is also symbolized in John's vision of the red dragon and the woman. Right. In
1: Revelation. The woman who's,
0: giving, who's about to give birth. And what is the dragon doing? He's poised to devour her offspring. That's not one incident. That is the, that is the, the continual positioning of the dragon was the continual positioning of the dragon until christ was born and 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 you know delivered from death and resurrected and taken up to heaven and that's what happens to the man child he's born of the woman and 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 is immediately taken up to heaven and of course that man child will rule the nations with an iron scepter that's the son of god that's jesus of nazareth but the dragon was always poised to devour the son the offspring the promised offspring of this lineage. I don't think that he knew exactly which one was going to be the Messiah. Yeah. He was always positioning himself to thwart this genetic lineage somehow and, and to turn the kings against God so that God would judge them and send in their enemies and wipe them out, which it did happen with the Babylonian exile. Right. For a period of time until Cyrus and until they return to rebuild, so this is the this had this was the continual posture of the dragon. And uh, so when I see Jacob and Esau, I see this: the dragon is posturing himself to devour the son, the offspring of the woman, the offspring of Eve through the line of Abraham. And in this case, it was Jacob, yeah. and not to kill Jacob, but rather to steal his birthright, because obviously the dragon is poised to devour. But But God is divinely protecting and and guiding the offspring of Abraham at the same time. So there's this tug of war happening. Yeah. So um, anyway, I believe that, yes, something happened that was unnatural. Um, I believe that Esau was an unnatural, illegitimate son now. Does that mean that, uh, going all the way back to your question, does that mean that something like an alien abduction happened, and some and a, and, a, and an embryo was implanted next to Jacob, or does that mean that some sort of an in vitro fertilization happened, or something else? Um, I'm I'm definitely open to those possibilities, and in fact, as I said earlier, I lean in that direction. Although it's rank speculation, I don't have any. There's nothing I can point to in the scriptures besides the abnormality of Esau oh, yeah. that, that, that would suggest such an event, such an occurrence.
1: Well, I, I think it's it's a it's an interesting topic to speculate on, and I don't think it's completely uh, out in the left field there. But it, it just it begs the question for me, um, regardless of what caused Esau to be implanted or whatever. Um, it seems that there's an abduction phenomenon taking place now where similar type of in vitro fertilization are, uh, is taking place. And it makes me wonder if if the dragon knows that he couldn't prevent the birth of the Christ and uh, and he's been defeated at Calvary. I wonder why he continues to okay, so invade and, and do what he's doing. In well, we, we,
0: the dragon may or may not have anything to do with the gray aliens and the abduction okay. phenomenon uh, i don't know mm-hmm. but uh, i don't believe that the dragon is so is is so uh pervasive that that he's got his fingers in everything that's happening yeah i think his efforts are finite and and focused um the, the the gray alien phenomenon, the abduction phenomenon, may be something completely out of left field. Certainly, he's going to use it to his advantage. I think that's yeah. given. Okay. Um, but whether or not he's actually masterminded conducting the operation behind the scenes is is unknown. Yeah. Um, but the abduction phenomenon is, of course, very real, and oh, yeah. uh, and babies are implanted into, or rather, um, zygotes are implanted into wombs, which grow into fetuses. Which then are extracted before the women are showing around the three month period before the three month period of pregnancy. Oh yeah, I believe that's the first trimester, and then those babies are removed in a, in a subsequent abduction, and they are the rest of their development happens in a gestation tank, and and they're basically they're basically born in a tube, um, at that point uh, a, a tank, um, a nutrient tank of some kind. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, that um, I believe that the, in short, I believe that the, it's my opinion that the, the program, the hybridization program being perpetrated by the Greys is for the purpose of planetary acquisition. In other words, the Greys are introducing advanced human-alien hybrids in order to acquisition the Earth by stealth. Now for that,
1: some reason. That's a fascinating thought. And I now that brings me back to, of course, your book is what we're discussing anyway. but in, and that is in my book, so yeah, absolutely. And, but in birthright, and you 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 touched on this earlier in one of the previous questions, Timothy, but you talk about this, there's a legality under which these entities are having to operate. You make such a clear and salient case that the dragon is legally limited in his operation on earth by, among other things, the birthright contract that uh, that God gave the earth to the children of men. And you bring up Psalm 115, 16. Right. So uh, if, if that weren't the case, then the superior intellect, the superior technology, the superior power and might, of the dragon and the fallen angels could have easily overwhelmed humanity Certainly. a long time ago. Certainly. So would you say there's a connection between what we what I call on this show the satanic global elites, such as governments, deep state entities, the World Economic Forum, what have you, having an agenda, maybe the grays are part of the agenda, to Perhaps. gain control of property, acquisition, as you said, to the point where they control a majority interest in planetary real estate thus being able to enter into contract with the seed of the serpent
0: that's very that's i think that uh is plausible certainly plausible so you know the question would be how many human beings have to abdicate their birthright before it's abdicated for all of mankind it's probably something like the majority of human beings right and so um we we've seen this happen once before this happened in the genesis six affair
1: Yes. Where the watchers
0: descended and took the wives from among the daughters of men, who were willing wives, by the way, and, and made this transaction with, with their fathers. In my estimation, these were the, were, were the men in the line of Cain, that they were going to give them knowledge and technology, presumably, through this knowledge, mm-hmm. if these men would give them their daughters' hands in marriage. This was a transaction.
1: I agree. Because
0: because these were interlopers into our realm. And we are the governors of this realm. Paul says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Yeah. So if mankind was given dominion of the earth, that's irrevocable. We can abdicate dominion, but but it cannot be taken. It, can't, it cannot be wrested by force. Indeed, the Watchers, the ploy of the Watchers was was very much like perhaps what the gray aliens are doing, they created hybrid beings who were human enough to inherit and appropriate the birthright of Adam. Yes. That's why they were hybrids. So I think this is, why the, what, this is why the Watchers did what they did. This is why they decided to create offspring with the daughters of men. Because they knew that they were, they could not govern the earth. Their rule would have been illegitimate should they be able to produce human hybrid children who were human enough to inherit the birthright of Adam? And that's probably a genetic equation. Then they could legally usurp dominion of the earth through their sons, which is precisely what they did. Yes. They, they did, they did that very thing. And I believe that was central to their plan, that's what they were attempting to achieve the entire time. That's what they—that was the desired outcome. Now, the Watchers certainly could have showed up on the scene and taken whatever they wanted by force. I think they didn't show up empty-handed. I think they showed up with advanced technology, yes. and uh, and presumably the Watchers were received as gods, reverent, reverenced as gods. A- oh, yeah. They re- received the adulation of human beings, probably not the line of Seth because Enoch was keeping them straight, but, but the rest of humanity certainly would have been worshiping the watchers. Yeah. Um, but the problem is that for them and for the dragon is that they, there, there's a police force. There's a cosmic military. It's called the kingdom of heaven, the armies of heaven, which show up all over the place in the old Testament. Right. In fact, one of the most prominent and prevalent titles for God in the old testament is the lord of armies
1: yes lord of so hosts. what is the
0: purpose what is the purpose of an army if not to defend the borders of a realm and to enforce the dominion and to, to enforce and to execute the will of the king of that realm and so the armies of heaven exist and it's the and it and it is they who keep the dragon in check. Otherwise, the earth would be a veritable prison planet. Yeah. So, so it's the armies of the kingdom. And I don't, this for some reason doesn't register with a lot of people, but it's true. It must be true. The armies of the kingdom keep the dragon in check. But at some point in the future, we know that the dragon is going to, is going to be unchecked. Because the restrainer is going to lift his hand. And at that point, no one's going to stop the dragon from doing whatever he wants at that point. And that point is coming in the future. And I believe that the restrainer is Michael. And I believe that the the restrainer, broadly speaking, are the armies of heaven. And they're not going to restrain the dragon anymore because mankind is going to collectively lose dominion of the earth. Interesting. The armies of heaven enforce our dominion. So if we abdicate our <clears throat> dominion then what's left to enforce? Nothing. Especially if we ab- abdicate our dominion while perhaps the human hybrid offspring of the dragon usurps it because he's human enough to inherit the birthright of Adam and appropriate dominion of the earth. So so remember that the that the the beast we read in Revelation is permitted, permitted to rule for a short time.
1: Right. Hey, thank you for listening today. If you are enjoying our interview with Timothy Alberino, you're going to want to hear the entire interview by subscribing to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can do this at BibleMysteriesPodcast.com and also gain access to all of our Premium Members' bonus content.